time kills deals. If you don't create urgency, if you don't create FOMO, it's going to die. If once it's dragging and it dragged out, it's basically dead. So be strong enough to give it a deadline and say, I need to know by this day because we're going to be closing. Let me know if you're in or out. We're already oversubscribed. It'd be great to have you a part of us. This is what the future looks like, but you got to let me know. Renata Black is the co-founder of Ebby, a lingerie brand that empowers entrepreneurs around the world through microfinance. After Renata graduated from college, she didn't land her dream job. So instead, she set off to travel the world. While living in India, she discovered microfinance and was influenced by the women who felt that the art of seduction was lost in the U.S. It was through her experiences that she had the idea to launch Ebby. Coming up, how Renata redirects the power of seduction to empower women through microfinance. She shares more about microfinance and how it's lifting women out of poverty. Learning lessons from creating Ebby as a subscription-based business. And finally, what Ebby has used to help their business grow 60% month over month. This is the Entrepreneurista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters. No limits. And plenty of surprises. Renata, I am so thrilled to sit down with you and hear all about your journey to launching your business. But before we even get there to starting this business, tell me about your childhood and growing up. Did you always know that you wanted to have a business one day? Oh my God, no, not in the least. But I don't think I ever thought that I would be capable enough to ever have a business, nor was it even a thought at all. So my background originally... I was adopted. Both of my parents died when I was very young and I was very, very fortunate to be adopted and brought to the U.S. And and that has been such a critical point in my formation and who I am and the decisions I make and what I commit to myself to. Because I think, you know, I think one of your questions was like, what is your hidden talent? And I think one of my hidden talents is that I'm super hungry and I'm, I'm really hungry because I know that I wasn't meant to have the life that I have, which is being American. Being American, you have every opportunity in the world, but coming from a place like Colombia, where that's not the norm, that's not the starting point, you don't ever think that you're qualified or you're good enough to have anything of that nature until you start growing up in the States and and you're like, wow, I can have financial aid or they'll pay for my school or it's amazing what's offered as as Americans and and then you realize that there's just so many opportunities that sky's the limit, the limit's the sky. So I don't think that as an onset I ever thought that I was ever eligible or entitled to something like having a small business or a growing and you know business that we have now, which is a scaling business. But that has it's really just something that has happened as my, my life has evolved. What was the path that led you to ultimately start Ebby? I went to, as I mentioned to you, I've been very hungry. And I went to University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, which is an Ivy League school for journalism and got in there with a scholarship, honors and distinction. And just was every opportunity I can get, I would just crush it. And I was being groomed to work at MTV with one of the alumni. And I was so excited and I, and I didn't get this job. 
And I literally thought my life was over. And I would, I literally cried in bed for two weeks. I was living with a ska band at the time. And they had told me about this ticket that would go around the world for $5,000. And I said, well, I didn't get my dream job. So let me take this trip around the world and just travel because pretty soon one day I'll get a job. And so I did that. I took a trip around the world for a year and I volunteered in different countries. I volunteered in Egypt and in China. And, and then I was in India after the tsunami. And I was as I was cleaning the villages, there's dead bodies everywhere. We're just cleaning the villages. This woman came up to me and in her language, she said, I don't want your money. Can you just teach me how to make it? And I was like, I'm so broke. I have student aid up to here. I have no idea how to make money. But I was watching these women and I saw how dependent they were becoming on aid. And I thought to myself, wow, this isn't the solution. Here are these bionic, powerful women now dependent on aid. So I, I was like, there has to be something else. And that's when I found microfinance. At the time, it was 2005. And Muhammad Yunus was in Bangladesh doing microfinance. And it's helping women start their own businesses to come out of poverty. I was like, wow, that sounds like it. That sounds like a better solution. So that's really what strengthened my hunger and, and kind of similar to your story, those circumstances of events led up to the point where organically I just followed that path. For those that are not familiar with microfinance, can you explain what microfinance is? Microfinance is, first of all, the strongest poverty alleviation tool today. And what it does is that it empowers women to come out of poverty small loans. So a small loan of $150, $75. So basically what you do is there's 15 women, they get together, each one gets a loan, each one has a, a little business. She sells sorry, she sells rice in bulk, she sells spices. And in four months, everybody has to pay their loan back so they can get a bigger loan to grow their business. Now let's say one of the women didn't pay their loan back. You have 14 women like really upset, like, hey, what happened? And she's she could possibly say, my husband died, I can't sell these baskets. So then you have 14 women making these baskets and selling them at, at the market. So you have this amazing camaraderie amongst women to grow each other and help each other. And women have proven statistically to be the best investment. Not that we don't love men. And I do think that, of course, men serve an amazing purpose in this world. But when you are to give a man statistically proven alone, he either drinks it or gambles it. So a woman has this nurture for her kids and she has to make it work. And as you know, need is the mother of invention. And you don't have to teach these women small businesses. They've been hustling since they're five years old. So this microfinance is is a way to really give people their dignity back and, and not just have them become beggars. It's this hand up versus a handout. It's super effective. It's It's like watching silver turn into gold. Really, that's so incredible. When did you come up with the idea to launch Ebby? And can you share more about how Ebby now helps with microfinance with these women as well? So while I was living in India, I lived in India for two years. I had a from 2005 to 2007. I had a group of 800 women and I lived in this town in India and I had to wear a sari every day. And it was really uncomfortable because it was hot, super hot. And it was like, you're wrapped up in this burrito. And women would always say to me, oh, it must be horrible living in the States. You have to show your cleavage and your legs to get a man. How is that? And I was like, whoa, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> First of all, I'm Colombian. I like a tight, short, fluorescent leopard, preferably. That's absolutely not the case. And I said, I hate wearing this thing. I can't believe you have to wear this. So it was this weird juxtaposition of how they saw sensuality. And they saw it really disempowering. 
And that really stuck with me living with them for two years. And when I came back from living in India and I was watching the Victoria's Secret show, it hit me. I said, wow, maybe we do use seduction to objectify women. And, and what if we could use seduction to empower women? And then I just got on this crazy obsession. I'm, I'm a very obsessive compulsive person. And I started doing these major lingerie shows in London and Miami and New York with the top luxury lingerie designers like Agent Provocateur and Atsuko Kudo, all to raise awareness for microfinance, redirecting the power of seduction to the empowerment of women. And that's how I originally had gotten this idea. What were some of the first steps that you took when you decided you wanted to just get started and actually launch it as a business? Well, you know, I didn't really choose it. It actually chose me, ironically, similarly to your story, right? You kind of, you were open to life had a store for you and you listened and you, and you followed that path. And I think that's the thing about entrepreneurship. You have to be really open to the circumstances that lead you to a certain point. And while I had read an article in a, a magazine by a gentleman they were interviewing, his name was Deepak Chopra. And I, my whole life, loved Deepak and I, when I was 15 years old, I had left my house and my mother had, my adopted mom had given me this one book. She's like, look, I know you're leaving. You're trying to find your identity. You're very confused, but just have this one book. And that book was like my guide. And when I was reading this article, I was already doing my work in India and I was just starting to do my shows. And they asked Deepak, what are you doing now? And he said, I'm supporting innovative solutions for poverty alleviation. And I was like, whoa, man, I've got one. And so... It was like a kid with a dream. My email was just starting and I, I sent him a note and I said, look, I'm hosting this show in Miami. I would love if you came and spoke because this is what I'm trying to do, redirect the power of seduction to the empowerment of women. And in a week, he emailed me back and he said, if you can redirect the power of seduction to the empowerment of women, because seduction is the most powerful energy out there that women own and they don't realize that power that they have. And if you can redirect it to empowerment, it would be transformative and I will support you. Anyways, long story short, Deepak was one of my biggest supporters. And he then wrote a chapter about me in one of his books called The Soul of Leadership. It's chapter nine. And fast forward, Grace Nichols, the former CEO of Victoria's Secret, read this chapter and was friends with Deepak and said, who is this girl? And basically, he got us on the phone and she said to me, listen, kid, all I've ever done is create intimates for Ben's benefit. If you want to do something to empower women, I'll help you. She's like, but you're going to have to do what I tell you to do. And I was like, oh, okay, whatever. I, okay, sure. I guess I'm going to become a thong slinger. I wasn't planning on doing that. But once you get that type of call, you really just follow, follow that path. And she's the one that got me into the factory and taught me about... She's like, if you're going to be successful, this is going to be the product. It's the best product. It's the product that solves for women's issues with underwear because of the technology that it has. Prevents sliding, riding, and bunching. And in bras, it gives women support without the discomfort. Victoria's Secret would never do this because they need to dissolve in the wash by five, six times. And so she really helped me get to where I was. And, and ultimately, that's what started the inception of Emmy. Wow. All right. So tell me what happened next. You learn about manufacturing and what products to make. When did you officially launch the business? Well, one of the deal points was that I was going to go live in Sri Lanka and learn how the fabric and the products were made. Because she always said to me, if you could do that, you'll never get screwed over. You have to know how the sauce is made. And so I did that. It was the best thing I ever did because I can't, if you can't get screwed over by your factory, you're pretty golden because all that matters is margin, right? 
if there is no margin, there is no mission. And so that was critical for me to really understand. And I did. From then, I came back and I started getting into a few stores, little stores. And it was all about being next to the counter and, you know, this 10% going back to microfinance. And funny enough, Sophia Vergara did get a hold of the underwear and she fell in love with the product and she fell in love with the mission. We had a mutual friend in common and she goes, look, I really love the cause. And, you know, there's something that I'm, I'm happy to support for a short period of time. I have a window and, and we're both Colombian and she was really amazing in, in supporting me and launching the business. And that was just really what set us off. And we, we launched 100% in 2018. Wow. What was it like when you got that call that she was interested in the business? Well, you know, there's, she's somebody who I've admired my whole life. I'm Colombian and she's really defeated the odds. Very few Hispanic actresses can make the jump from being a Hispanic actress, Spanish speaking over to the American market. She's probably one of the few. And a lot of Hispanic actresses don't speak Spanish either. And she's genuinely, you know, she fought tooth and nail. She's, she's been through a lot. And I really admired her for the care that love that she had for the, for microfinance. And she really felt that the strongest way to have an impact was through microfinance. And so it was such an accolade. And I felt so proud and honored to have her support. And, and she's always been just so wonderful. What have been some of your biggest learning lessons since launching the business in 2018? Because your background, you did not have a background in e-commerce at all, correct? Oh my God, not at all. Not at all. I had none. I mean, I would need five martinis in two days to talk about all the lessons that I've learned. But I think it has been such a ride. And we have a business right now that's growing 60% month over month. I have the former president of Spanx as my financial advisor. I have Julie, who was a part of Third Love and who is just a ninja. I have Nick Austin. Amazing team that are some unbelievable professionals that really believe in the vision and what we can do together. And it all comes down to team. But it's been a, it's definitely been a ride to get there because we have a subscription backend. We were a hundred percent subscription because one of the things that Grace made me do was she used to make me go to the stores and watch how women shop. When I would watch how women shop, I'd always see women go into the store, grab a handful and walk out and they never tried it on. And I would say to them, how often do you do this? And they're like, well, I don't know, three, four times a year, just grab a bunch of water. And I'm like, but you're not trying this on. Oh, that's disgusting. I'll never try an underwear in the store. It's like, wow, it's amazing. Why don't we just deliver them three underwear once every three months? Because clearly it's one of these consumable products. And that really started the subscription part of the business. Building a subscription platform is like building a spaceship. I mean, it's unbelievable the amount of technology that's in our company. So it's been a longer process than I would say most companies because we have such a robust technology. But that was a short-term sacrifice for a long-term gain because now the company, anytime we get valuation, subscription companies get valued four to eight times more than just regular econ businesses. So that was the right move at the time. However, that caused a lot of wrinkles and gray hairs that have now all been magically taken care of by outside sources. But it was a lot of pain and grief to get there. And I think I think one of the main lessons for me was that I was never attached to the end result. Because I would get just the shit kicked out of me breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and I would just get up and do it all over again. And I would just be relentless. And I think that's my background is being relentless. I, my, I grew up having to be relentless. Everything I've ever done has been relentless. So then when it, when it starts working, 
you're really not expecting it. And you're just like, wow, it's finally working. And it's all of a sudden, there's this synergy, and everything starts riding off its riding off each other's wind. And there's this momentum that you've built because you've just been, you've been grinding it out. Now, I'm not saying like, work harder, not smarter, but iterate and learn. But if you're constantly attached to the end result, you're going to die. Because it's it, there's so many more falls than there are wins along the journey. So iterating and learning, iterating and learning, and not so much, you know, this it's a basketball syndrome. They're not focusing on the win. They're focusing on training. They're focusing on the move. They're focusing, no, they're not focused on the shot that they missed. They're focusing on the next shot. So it's like, you don't have time. You have to setbacks. You have to really bounce back quickly or you're going to die. So it's, it's, it's a lot of that. It's a lot of resilience and relentlessness. I was going to say all about the resilience. If you're going to be an entrepreneur, you have to expect that things are not going to go according to plan and you just have to keep going and figure it out. When you mentioned building this subscription business model and it being very challenging to build the tech and, and figure everything out, was there a moment or a certain period of time when it finally clicked and things were just really working and you were seeing things really start to take off? I think it was a stepping stone. Like it's never, obviously everybody wants their business to do a hockey stick. The, the reality of that happening is is very rare. So what it is, it's more like staircases. Like it, you plateau, you grow, you plateau, you grow. But I would say that in the last six months, there's a few things that have happened. Our influencer channel has just exploded. And that is highly due to the fact that all of these influencers are small businesses and they really love supporting a company that by buying the product, you are supporting small businesses. And so there's just this authenticity in that and that girls really love us. But the product is kick ass. I mean, the product is the best in the market. We're coming out with a new product right now called the Only Bra. And I feel so confident that we are the best in the market that we're sending two of our competitors and our own bra to editors, to 40 editors. And I'm telling them, I'm not going to tell you we're the best. I know we're the best because of the technology that we have. You can decide and you can write about it. Now that's a very ballsy move. But I have that level of confidence. So we have these amazing breakthrough products that are all on this with the technology in our product that we can have the confidence in our product. Then we have influencers who not only believe in who we are, but believe in our product. So that has been two years in the making that now we're starting to really see the fruits of our labor kind of just explode and we're getting this like 3x return on investment and we're creating these amazing relationships and you finally have this the win. Uh, what is that American saying? Beneath your sails or that's a song. So that's probably not it. Beneath your back. Oh, wait, well, they're going to say wind beneath my wings. <laughs> <laughs> you know, with the sails, the wind in your sails. I know you mean, yeah. So the influencer channel has really been a big, big thing. And the product has just been a great thing. And then obviously all fueled by, by the mission, the mission has just, all of that has, has just kind of all meshed together. Up next how to establish a solid influencer network and program for your brand. When you create a mission-driven business and you partner with 
aligned influencers who really do care about the mission and you have an amazing product. Like you have all the right puzzle pieces together at the right time. You can't have a great mission and a crappy product or a great product and a really bad mission. You have everything all together at once. And it's so exciting to hear how it's just all come together and it's really starting to to grow and take off. I want to talk a little bit more about the influencer marketing. So Influencer marketing can be very broad and can mean a lot of different things. And there's a lot of different ways that brands like to partner with influencers. Are there specific strategies or platforms that you have found are working really well, whether it's working with a certain number of influencers, certain platforms, doing whitelisting, giveaways, like what's really moving the needle and working? Well, first of all, I would say number one, it's all about relationships. We have really strong relationships with all of our content creators and we genuinely care about them. When I was just coming out with a bra, I I sent it to our number one content creator. I'm like, hey, what do you think about this? I really care about what they have to say. I really care what their audience has to say. Number one. So it's all, it's really comes down to the relationship. Number two, we have a mix of commission-based influencers and also flat fee influencers. And so it's, it's kind of neat when we're, we see the commission-based influencers, the more that they're building their business, we're also building our business. And I just love that synergy. So that's a, that's super symbiotic and we love that. So those relationships become really meaningful. And then at the end of the day, it, it really does come back to the content and, and the product, like giving them product that they feel really comfortable and confident in and that they're just not talking about it to sell it. They are starting to incorporate it into their own lives. Then their audience starts to see, wow, they're just not pushing this because they're trying to sell something. Like they genuinely care about this. One of our top content creators put us in their newsletter the other day, and we've been working with her, I think, for almost two years now. And it's solid. It just it's not just this this one and done. We are genuinely invested in each other's business and best interests. And I think that people really see through that. And I think that's what really cuts through the noise. For us, it's a business that feels business, knowing that every time you buy the product, you're having an impact to somebody you'll never, never meet, but it actually matters every choice you make. And that, and that these women really believe in who we are and, and that authenticity and that resonance, I think is what creates such a distinct model with, with Abby and our content creators. Definitely. Are there any other marketing strategies that you've tested over the years? Maybe things that didn't perform well and what you learned from them or any other channels that have worked really well for you that our entrepreneurs can learn from based on your experience? Well, you know, we did try TikTok and that did not perform well at all. It just didn't. Not to say that the audience isn't there. I just don't think that their platform is set up for the algorithm to really benefit marketers. Email has worked incredibly well. So email has been a really fast growing acquisition channel for us, as well as SMS. SMS is another really fast growing one. Affiliate has been great as far as press affiliations has been really good. When you're doing commercials on streaming television, total bust. No, that doesn't work. Facebook is a necessary evil. It's not that you're going to see the direct attribution. It's basically a three-legged stool. We try to cut it off because we didn't think that there was any benefit in having it because you couldn't directly see the revenue attributed to it. But once you cut that off, everything dies. So don't cut it off. But it's not what's going to build and grow your, your business. So that hasn't really worked. I would say Nordstrom is performing incredibly well for us. 
and also Amazon. There's a lot of opportunity there and that's where the customer is. So I think beating the customer where she's at and she needs to see you in all these different places. She needs to hear about you on social. She needs to see you on a Facebook ad. She needs to get your email. She happens to see you on Amazon and now you're on Nordstrom too. It's like, oh, sometimes, you know, they say you have to hear from three different people to actually try something. So it's the surround sound that we're creating and all of this working together is actually what's creating the the growth right now. It's really figuring out where are those direct conversions coming from, but she does have to see you three to 10 times before finally making that purchase. And like what you said with Facebook, you know, we see the same thing a lot of times. Like, yes, we see, you know, direct conversions from Facebook with stuff we do with Entreprenista and other partners of ours, but you get that like top of funnel awareness, just like, People are on Facebook and Instagram all the time. So you see the ad over and over again. You might not click through yet, but now it's time to go buy something. So now you're going to Google Ebby and then you might click on that top Google ad and it was from the awareness from being on Facebook and Instagram and, and on Amazon. So totally agree with you. It's, and then testing and learning and figuring out what's actually moving the needle. 100%. And I think one of the things that we've really nailed is, is what are people going to remember you for? So we know that we are astonishingly comfortable. We know that when women put us on, they're like, oh my God, this is amazing. And we're solving problems for her with our product. So all of our ads are problem solution. What influencers talk to us is about problem solution. And so that's been highly effective. But it's this crazy master universe that you must dominate, which is you have to make sure that you're shipping on time and it's getting to her on time. You want to make sure that it's not too expensive. It's the right cost. It's the right product. It's the right fit. Customer service is good. Your 3PL is on point. That your product and your shipping costs aren't too high. You don't want to pass the cost on to the customer. So all of these things, you have to... It's kind of like this beautiful dance that you're constantly in, in tango. And sometimes you're just going to trip and fall. And, and, and that's okay. That's okay. You get back up. And, and the customer, as long as you're very honest with her, she's, she's pretty understanding, I would say. Coming up, Renata's secret to raising over $10 million in venture capital. Speaking of craziness, what is the craziest thing that has ever happened to you in business? Oh, God, that's another 20 martinis that we would have to down to to get to the bottom of. I would say I have raised $10 million in the last four years by myself. And I am a professional fundraiser at this point. That's what I do. And the majority of investors are male. And so pitching under is always interesting to male investors. And so you have to have really thick skin and not buy into the narrative of, oh, only 2% of VC funding goes to women and then less than that goes into biopic. Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm a Hispanic woman, of course. Yes, it's but it does no good for me to believe that. Like I have to do the impossible. So I've done this. However, right before the pandemic, I was getting a term sheet for $2 million and Literally like two days before the pandemic was announced, like they pulled the term sheet and I lost that financing. And that was, that was really hard because, because you need to have the financing to continue to fund and grow the company. And you want to never want to have your team feel that they don't have, that it's not safe. And so that was incredibly crazy to have to deal with and having to figure it out and, you know, wipe off your tears and dust off your knees and get right back up and, and do it again. And then recently, I had another $2 million debt financing that the banks closed 
and the, the bank closed. And so I lost it. And again, I had to go back to my cap table and I had to, for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, get a no. And I had to get up again the next day with the same amount of enthusiasm and I had to get it done. And I think that those moments, I feel that as an entrepreneur, you're, there's a lot of near death experiences and you have to be so comfortable with being uncomfortable because if you let it get the best of you, it takes such a long time to rise from the depths of being depressed that you just don't have the time for it, that you, you're just going to say like, this is part of the game. And I can't get depressed because I actually need the stamina to get up again and pitch again. So <laughs> I'm not allowed to go there. There's no time for that. <laughs> There's no time for that. And so you become really good at uh at dealing with no's and and thank God because there's so many amazing things that the company has going right now. We have we are the fastest growth that we've ever had. Our team is the best it's ever been. We have one of the best channels we've ever had. We have the craziest, most unbelievable products we've ever launched. And I needed to circumvent that and all the no's so that I can get to the most unique position that I've ever been in. And thank God I didn't listen to them. Thank God I didn't carve into everybody that said no. I learned from it, of course. I have a doc, I have a Google sheet of every no I've ever had and why they said no. And I really take it to heart. I'm like, hey, could I do better here? Am I missing something? Don't just be like, oh, they said no. No, really think about it. Is, is there something we can grow from here? You just have to be very selective of what you what you listen to. But I would say that the craziest things are just so many near-death experiences and, and surviving them. Just You just keep going. I have some fundraising questions for you because a lot of our entrepreneurs are thinking about raising capital or currently in the process of raising capital. And yes, it can be very hard to get those no's, but you can always learn from them. And I love that you said you wrote down all of the reasons why some investors did say no. Did you always ask them for that feedback? Like if they emailed you or messaged you and said, we're not you know, going to move forward and invest, did you then probe them for those reasons to be able to learn as much as possible from them? 100%. 100%. Every pitch is valuable. You learn so much from your pitches. The other thing I've done is recording your pitches, highly effective. The amount of times I say like is ridiculous and I need to stop that. So I'm I'm trying to get better as an order and conveying a message and connecting with somebody over Zoom, which is also difficult to do. So recording calls has been highly effective. Getting the reasons why and learning from them. Sometimes it's just it's just a hard no and they're just, they were interested and now they're not. The deal died. Number three is time kills deals. If you don't create urgency, if you don't create FOMO, it's gonna die. If once it's dragging and it dragged out, it's basically dead. So be strong enough to give it a deadline and say, I need to know by this day because we're going to be closing. Let me know if you're in or out. We're already oversubscribed. It'd be great to have you a part of us. This is what the future looks like, but you got to let me know. It's scary to do that because you're thinking, am I going to potentially lose someone by forcing them? But by not forcing them, you're just allowing it to drag and it's going to die anyways. And the last thing I would say is you want to make sure to have a way to follow up with excitement. So make sure you have all your press kind of, oh, this just came out or this just came out. or They love to see companies in the press. So make sure that you have ammo to show them or an influencer just talked about you or I just took my team to visit a microfinance organization in Colombia. And this is a video of my team member. I have an unbelievable committed team more than anyone. So really creating the FOMO 
really seeing that there's momentum so that they feel the momentum and then putting a hard timeline on this thing because if not, things will just drag. Totally. Such great advice. You mentioned that the majority of your time is spent raising capital. And it sounds like you've hired an incredible team around you to be able to work on growing the company in, in other areas as well. Are there other areas of the business that you are focused on right now? Or is it solely fundraising and uh, fundraising and fundraising? <laughs> oh my God. I wish that was the case. Absolutely not. No. I am heavily invested in my time in the finances. One of the most important things as a, as a fundraiser is that you have to know your numbers inside and out. If they're asking about your numbers and what your CAC is, you better know what your marketing number was last year because they're going to say, well, how is it compared to last year? So you have to know everything off the bat. If you don't, oh, I have to check my numbers. That's weak. And it's a no, definitely. So you have to know your numbers inside out. So I manage my financial model. I was... I actually converted to Judaism for my husband, but I always tell my husband, my Torah is actually my financial model. I live and breathe and eat this thing. Not only do I, I manage the model with my financial modeler, but I, I'm the one that closes all the books. I go through everything with my accounts, every single line item. I'm managing the burn. I want to make sure that we're burning the least as possible and making sure that we're hitting our numbers. If we're not hitting our numbers, working with my head of marketing to figure out how did we, where did we fail? How can we make up for that? I'm also working on my dev team. I manage and I... I, I hold them accountable to all of their deliverables. I work very closely with my production team. I design all the prints. I do everything that has to do with colors and design is me. And I manage production with my head of production. And I'm also very involved in all the 3PL with my head of ops, making sure that the warehouse is delivering on time if they're slacking, making sure that they're clear on their expectations and that they're delivering. And then I'm, I'm very close with my influencer team just checking in. Is there anything that we can do? Can we, can we go to our top influencers and ask them to refer some of their friends and give them a referral, come up with neat ideas? Should we take our influencers down to Columbia and visit our microfinance program? That was an idea from one of my stellar influencer teams. So I'm in every single aspect of the business. I work six days a week. I'm nonstop all the time. Not that I recommend it, but I have no other way of doing it. I hear you. And now you have a little one and we were just chatting about it before we started recording. So big congratulations. And now it's figuring out how to how to manage it all, right? And you know, I honestly I had a, a call with one of my girlfriends yesterday because I had my I had my child by a surrogate. And so it is a pretty gnarly experience to watch your child come out of somebody else. I'm forty three years old and I chose to do surrogate. I didn't think that I that's something that I could do. It's nothing It's nothing I ever desired to do. And I didn't want to feel bad about that. And we had the choice to do it. And I was very, very proud that I was able to do that with my husband. So I feel like I need to... I talked to my girlfriend yesterday. She said, welcome to the world of living in endless guilt. You're just always going to feel guilty. You're not spending enough time with him. The nanny shouldn't be raising him. And and quite frankly, when I got on this call with you, I, I myself, I'm trying to figure out how to run a business and have a newborn because the both of them demand the same amount of attention and don't know how to do it. I just don't know how to do it. So that one is a, that's a TBD on this podcast. I have no idea. I just want to make sure he's a, he's a really good kid and I'm focusing on, on quality right now. Quality time. No, I hear you. I can tell you, I know we were chatting about this right before we started recording, but my, my little one, we had a very complicated infertility journey and then an even more complicated pregnancy and was on bed rest for 17 weeks. My daughter was in the NICU 
And then when she was about eight weeks old is when I went back to the office because I had been out, physically been out of the office for like almost six months at that point. And it was so hard for me to leave her to go into my office. Now, nine months later, COVID happened. And then I was now, then I was able to work from home and was able to have the ability to at least be home with her, which for me was so helpful because it, I didn't feel like I felt like I was always like close and, and close enough to always be there with her, even if I was doing work, especially when she was really little and they're, you know, they're not doing too, too much when they're that little. And then I feel like it's the easiest then. It's a lot harder once they get older and they're like, mommy, I want you. <laughs> and then you have to, and you're working. That That's a lot harder, at least for me. But yeah, it's always this struggle of, do I take that one more call or look at that email? Or do I go spend another hour? It's really hard. And I don't have as much as I would love to tell you, I have all the answers for you. I don't know anyone that does. <laughs> Just have to do what feels right in your heart. And there's no, I don't think there's any wrong way. I will find out and we'll figure that out. I just currently am living in a constant state of guilt. So either I'm not I'm like, I should be working right now. Or I really need to rest at some point. <laughs> I'm exhausted just listening to myself. That's the biggest thing. I just say, give yourself grace. Take away that guilt. You're doing the best you can do every single day. And not looking at social media or what other people think or judging you, like just do what feels right in your heart and not putting too much pressure on yourself. Thank you. I appreciate that. Do you have certain ways you have been able to manage your time and business? Any tips and tricks that have worked for you? I'm a big proponent of doing the hard things first, having the hard conversations early in the morning, doing the things that you and I, but I feel miserably at it because I feel like I just want to get through my to-do list. I want to get through my emails to focus on that. But I really try to push myself to do the hard things first. That I think is, is the smartest way of doing things. The other thing that I do is I look at my calendar on Sundays and I like all the calls need to be back to back. I hate when there's these little open because then you just mess up my entire day. So I make sure that my assistant calls ending. I got to go. I'm going to the next call and then I'm done with my calls and I make sure that I have head downtime. And then I've been much better at having people managing up and reporting back to me like, hey, again, as a leader, you want to make sure that you're clear on expectations. People understand what they're expecting from you. We, we have these weekly calls. And on these weekly calls, I'm expecting you to report to me on what's been done, what hasn't been done, and when it's going to be done. And so everybody is really clear on how they should report to you, even on how all documents or updates should be reported. I need to see things bold and bullet point. I can't read any other way. I need things in an Excel sheet. So people know when they come to a meeting with me, they need to present something. I'm a visual person. I need to see it. I think that the biggest thing that I've learned is getting clear on expectations, being very clear with everyone around you, what you expect. Because that way, I always tell people, you know, you don't have a crystal ball. You don't know what I'm thinking. So let me just be really clear. And this also gives them a lot of assurance that they're going to make the best use of, of your time. And I always tell my team, you can't hit a target you can't see. So let's get clear on what those targets are. Let's get clear on what the expectations are. So there's no muddiness or, or weirdness. And, and if you're not meeting expectations, I'm very direct. And I say to my team, is this the best version of you? Are you here for this? Are you here for mediocrity? Are you here for exceptional? Are you a top athlete? Are you just here to collect a paycheck? Because if you're here to collect a paycheck, you need to leave. That's not where we're here. We're here to create something freaking amazing. We're here to disrupt the industry. We're here to create something incredibly valuable that the day that we die, this company is going to have an impact and it matter that we were here. 
So if you want to be a part of this, it's exceptional results. You're a top athlete. You're giving me 110%. And at the end of the year, you're a different person at the beginning of the year. If you are not a different person at the end of the year, I failed. And so, you know, right now we're going to start doing our mid-year reviews and just getting really clear, like, hey, this is where you are right now, but where do you want to be at the end of the year? What do you need to do to get there? And making those commitments to each other. And at the end of the day, your word is all you have. So once you tell me that, your integrity is everything. And if you are not going through with your word, you have to restore your integrity. So I'm, I'm, I'm really big on that. I love that. How big is your team now? I would say direct, full-time, we have around 15. And then when you take everybody else in, I would say around 25 contractors, etc. Your mission is so important and hiring the right team is absolutely everything. And I know you said earlier when we were chatting, you know, you now you feel like you have the absolute best team. And as someone who's been in business for many years now too, it can take time to really bring in that that right team to really take the business to the next level. Are there certain interview questions or things you look for in future employees? I will tell you one thing. I used to hire because of the resume experience. Oh, they were at MIT. They were here, blah, blah, blah. They must be really smart. So I would hire based off of this. And that, but there wasn't a cultural fit. Like there just wasn't a vibe. Like we didn't, there was no energy. And I thought that we had to tolerate that in order to get this level of experience. The truth is, that's not true at all. And I stopped doing that. The minute that I was true to my tribe is my vibe and that there is this energy where everybody comes from a place of possibility and not coming from a place of scarcity, that's where everyone starts writing off each other's win. And I realized, okay, I don't have to try to hire somebody smarter than me. Of course, you should always have people that know more than you. Of course. I don't know everything. I want people to challenge me. I need to have people that don't know things. But if they're not vibing with everyone around and you have to ask yourself, is this person leaving the team feeling bigger or less than? Like, it's okay to be honest and have critical feedback, but you want to leave everybody feeling like, okay, I got this. Like, all right, I probably, I'm not giving my hundred, but I, I, I think I can. And I know how now, but I came from a place of working with people that just weren't my vibe. I thought I had to tolerate that. And I've come to a point in my life where not tolerating that and getting people who truly, it's not like a a nice to have. It is a must have because that energy is what fuels the drive and the momentum of the business going forward. That's my biggest lesson in hiring. I agree with you 100%. I'm so glad that that you share that. It's so important and you've got to be around the, the right people and the team that really wants to build the business that you have set your vision to build. 100%. And that comes with age. That doesn't come because at the beginning, you're just like, oh, they're so smart. You should hire them. Oh, they know better. They know more. That's so what? Okay, so what? But if they suck and they have like a poo-poo face on Zoom every day, like I have to stare at you all the time. Like, no, I want somebody who's, who at least has a good attitude about things. So <laughs> no, that's it's my, so that's true. It sounds so basic, but... It's really important. I One of the questions I always ask people at interviews is, what is the nicest thing you've ever done for someone? It's like, I only want to be around really nice people who are passionate and good people. We don't have time to be around nice people with sad faces on Zoom. We all, we're all working towards something. So good to be around nice people. 
Renata, I would love to hear, are there any business tools or softwares or solutions that you have been using in your business that you absolutely love and recommend and could not run your business without? So I would tell you that my team runs with Asana. And I know that that's really helped their sanity. I live my life. I'm very basic. Shopify, Google Sheets. I live my life on a Google Sheet. Don't come to a meeting without a Google Sheet. Everything needs to be organized in a Google Sheet. I listen to podcasts a ton. I listen to Ed Milet. I feel that we always need tools to get to the next level in our lives and we have to constantly be building and growing ourselves. So I listen to podcasts all the time and music. I listen to SoundCloud. I listen to house music. I love it. It fuels me. It gives me energy. I have to get energy. I'm a source of energy for people. So I have to make sure that I get energy from a source. And those are my sources. So. I don't have any fancy tools to wow you with. That's just my real jam. You don't have to be fancy on this podcast. We just <laughs> share it like it is and love all of those tools that you are mentioning. And I feel your energy and warmth and vibe, everything just through this through this recording right now. So you are amazing. And I am so excited to continue to stay in touch and follow you and see all the incredible things that you're going to build with this business and the impact that you're going to continue to make through your company. My last question for you, what does being an entrepreneurista mean to you? I think it's seeing a vision come true and not letting myself, my husband, my team, my board and my investors down that what I said I was going to do, I, I gave it everything that I had and more. I love that. And you're definitely doing it. And I see it. And I'm so excited for our entrepreneurs to go check out Ebby and see the incredible business you are building and your amazing new products too. Where can everyone follow you, find Ebby online, shop? Tell me all the handles and we'll link out to everything in the show notes too. Sure. Well, you can follow me. I'm a horrible social media person because I have no time to do it. But my Instagram is Renata and Black. We do have the next product coming out, which I spent the last two years developing. We did endless amounts of fits on both our Missy and Plus Size model. It's called the Only Bra. It has the most surreal, surreal technology. And it's basically feels like you're wearing an underwire without the underwire. So it's unfreaking believable. And that's launching on May 15th. So maybe we can get a code for you guys and your and your squad to try that. That was the one that I was telling you we're sending the editors. Yes. And you can find it at shopjoin.ebby.com. You can find everything, but definitely link it up. Yes, we will be linking out to everything in the show notes below. So everyone go hit your screen right now, click show notes, scroll on down and click that link to go check out all of the incredible Ebby products and follow Renata as well. Thank you again so much for being here and sharing your journey and story. So inspired by you. And again, can't wait to see all the great things that you're going to continue to do. I'm Stephanie, and this is the best business meeting I've ever had. Hey, thanks for listening and leaving us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. And we'd love to stay in touch with each of you. You can listen to all of our latest episodes at entrepreneurista.com and connect with us on Instagram at entrepreneurista's. We'd also love to invite you to join the Entrepreneurista League, our private membership community for trailblazing women. 
you can head over to entreprenista.com forward slash the league. We'll see you there. Wishing you a productive week ahead. Mm-hmm.